church at this point in time and then he might be able to communicate that to us may we have our hearts open for all that you want to do lord and to be able to receive your word for us this morning bless him abundantly fill him with your spirit more and more this morning lord pray father for an increase in the anointing and an increase of the spirit upon him in jesus name hallelujah Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, man. Make a bit of space here, couldn't I? We'll put them over there. Give them a bit of moving room. on you why are you here what in this in this church why are you in this church Okay. But you know you should be here. But I know I should be here. Okay. Pam, why are you here? Why am I here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know you should be here? My heart tells me I should be here. Well, that's it, that's good. We, we're led by our heart. Yeah. See, you can go to lots of churches, can't you? Yeah. I mean, po- most of you probably passed, <laughs> I don't know, three, four churches. <laughs> to get here. So why didn't you stop at one of them? Why waste the petrol and come here? What's the point? Just go to the one that's round the corner. Go to the one that's near us. Because we're all doing the same stuff, aren't we? I mean, we're going to preach and sing and take communion and collect the offering and have a cup of coffee and wish you well and you'll go home. We all do the same stuff. Yeah, but are we fed? Are we fed? That's an important thing. Yeah, okay, we can hold on to that. Do we get, do we get what we need? Ah, yeah, okay, we'll hold that idea. I believe you're here because God wants you here. And nowhere else. If you're, not to, if you're not meant to be here, I'll tell you this now, you won't stay. I don't want you to go. But God is involved in our lives on a daily basis. And he must be involved in where we worship God. That makes sense. If he's involved, he's interested in our spirituality, he gets us where he wants us to be. So you are the cluster of people that God calls Hope Community Church. Um, I presume that's true of all of you. Maybe some say, well, I don't really want to be here. Uh, Well, you have to examine the reason why you might not want to be here. But if you're a Christian and you feel this is the place where you're meant to be, you can't be anywhere else. If you go somewhere else, you'll feel uncomfortable. 
And I'm really pleased about that. <laughs> it means that God has gathered us together as a people and brought us in that we might share our lives and this pilgrimage together. Why has he done this to us? I mean, we've got a bit of space this morning, but normally there's no space. Why has he squashed us into this place? We had a lot more space at the school. Um, your, your personal space has gone, hasn't it? You notice when you go into a public hall and you move along the seats to sit down, you leave a seat by somebody you don't know and you leave a little space. You don't just, you don't cuddle up to them, do you? Now that's, that's human nature. That's called your personal space. I get that. I understand that. You lose that here. We must be fatter than people were 50 years ago. I presume these chairs were made about... About 50 years ago, we've, we've, we've received them from another church that don't want them anymore. But you can get five of these in a row like this, and you can only get four of those black ones in a row like this. So we feel squashed in. It's murder serving teas and coffees because there's not enough space to get there. It's so small here that when you talk afterwards, you can hardly hear yourself speak compared to the school. The school was great, you could have conversations, and no one, but you can't hear a thing here. The kids have got minimal space. Parking might prove to be a, a difficulty. It hasn't yet, I don't believe, for anyone, or might, you might have to walk a bit further than you did before. I can't think of any physical advantage in being here. Not one. Not one. And yet we're here. Why are we here? God wants us here. Now we could say, well, no, we're here because we had a shortage of money. Well, technically we had, but we haven't really, have we? I mean, if I said to you, come on now, let's all pay the rent for the school, we'd find it amongst us, wouldn't we? We can't find it out of the church treasury, but we could find it, couldn't we? I mean, we could have a whip round every Sunday to pay for the school and stay in the school, but we're not going to do that. That's not the way we do things. That's not the way God does things. So God wants us here in this uncomfortable situation. Are you pleased about that? <laughs> okay. See, there's, there's two bits of us. Jesus was all man, and he was all God. I'm not saying that we're all man and all God, but I am at the same time. But I want to be very careful, because I don't want to make us out to be divine. See, I am 100% Philip. I will always be 100% Philip, and you are who you are. But when Christ came in... He came in in his fullness. Technically, you can't get more of God in you. It says the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus, and Jesus lives in us. So the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus must be in me. So there's me, 
and Jesus, who is God, living inside of me. That's where we get tensions in our lives. Do you realize? You want to be here because this is where your brothers and sisters are, the ones that God has gathered you with. And you want to be here because you think about it for a minute, God has got us into this place. No one chose to be here. God cornered us and gave us zero options, so we ended up here. And so the God in us wants to be here and it wants to have the fellowship with one another and it wants to relate to one another. I don't want to relate to the church down the road. I want to relate to you. If I walk into another church, do you know what I feel like? I'm a spectator. I'm looking around like this and I'm making judgments about everything. No, I don't want that. I want to be comfortable with my family and sit with my family and enjoy the fellowship. So God's got us into this uncomfortable place. You must ask why. You must ask the question why. So God can tell you why you're here. We can't grow here, can we? You can't get any more people in. People put their head around the door and they think, oh, this is too full, I'm going. But God's got us here for a reason, for a season. Now, who hopes it's a short season? That's it, the rest of you are just fibbing or thinking. Okay. I don't want this for long. I don't want it. I'm with you. You're all right. I know you don't like it, Sonia. Okay. Okay. Do you know the Christian church doesn't go anywhere? It doesn't go anywhere. The Christian church grows up into God. And yet, we talk about the church being on a journey. This cluster of people that God gathers together, he sets us on a journey. You cannot grow as a Christian individually. So that's a bold statement. Yes, I can. I have my quiet times and my reading times. I can grow. No, you can't. God has so designed this that as soon as we're saved, he clusters us together into these groups called churches. And it's in the church that we grow. We have to grow in relationship with other people. A thing called mutual love and acceptance and patience and perseverance and all these graces, they are developed only in the cluster of God's people. You leave church, you become independent self-thinking, wrong-thinking, and you'll end up saying, I don't need the church. You couldn't be far from the truth. I desperately need you. And you desperately need one another. So God clusters us into this thing we're called the church. Now, 
do we go anywhere? Well, 10 years ago last week, Hope Community Church was formed, established. It started itself 10 years ago. It came from another church predominantly, and it formed itself into a church. In that 10 years, we have been on a journey with God. And God is leading every cluster of Christians throughout the whole world. And there are millions of clusters of Christians that he's leading independently. Now, every church is the same, but every church is different. This church is different from any other church, but we all do the same stuff. The goal of God in clustering us together is to cause us to grow into Christ. So we're Christ-like. And in this growth, this development, he takes us on a journey through different experiences. If you say, I'm going to leave Hope and go to another church, all you do is get on board their journey. That's it. Now, they might be walking slower or faster or be more advanced than us or be behind us, but you can be sure that the the vision that God has given the church is to raise it up so it reflects Jesus Christ. And so you've joined yourself to this company of people and we're on a journey. We named ourselves Hope Community Church. God gave us this property. We extended it into a cafe. People came and people went. People joined us and people went in their hundreds over the years. They came and they went. Some brought input, some received. Some came, some went. And so we we get to a place and then God says, right, open up a cafe, shows us to give everything away in the cafe, We experience plenty of money, we experience little money, and then in this process, God makes us leave the school and come here. It's a journey. It's a journey. I like it when it's hard and difficult. I do, because I know in the easy times, I grow the least. I relax the most. I put my feet up and enjoy the leisure of prosperity. But when it's difficult like this, the Spirit of God exercises me. The Spirit of God makes me ask questions. The Spirit of God seeks to develop something in me, this wonderful commodity called Faith. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So the goal, our goal as Christians clustered together in this place, at this time, on this journey, growing up, is we grow up into his love. When he is going to live with us permanently... He wants a lot of loving people. 
He doesn't want any miseries in the next world, okay? He's working on that. I don't blame him. That's what I would do if I was God. I'd say, we get rid of all the misery on earth, so I'm going to hand up with clusters of loving people. Faith, hope, and love. We're hope. Yes? That's what we call ourselves. We're sandwiched between faith and love. God is developing in every one of us faith and love. That's what this is all about. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't understand the strategy. I don't understand the plan. There's a verse in, or a couple of verses in, um, Peter writes this. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, his divine power, that's God's, has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need. The fullness of God dwells in us because Christ dwells in us. You can't get more of God. Not possible. You can't get more of Christ. But he dwells in us by our knowledge and understanding of him. Now, this knowledge, this Christian knowledge, is not about what we know in our heads. It's about what we experience in life. I can't teach you anything. It is the experiences that you go through that is your teacher. It's not Sabia's first baby. She knows what to expect. But the first time, she didn't know. Like all other moms that have had babies. So you go to these classes, don't you? And it's all very good. Until the day comes. You can't remember a thing, I presume. And you probably scream your head off, well Daphne did. And you have to shout at her and tell her what to do to remind her as she sticks her claws into my skin and shouts at me and screams at me and blames me and everything else. It got easier as the kids were more and more because she knew what to expect. So you can't teach people the things of God. You can't teach them it. You have to experience the things of God. You can't know more than what you've experienced. And we don't experience everything, so we don't know everything. We've got to experience this. This is important. What would be foolish if we didn't learn the lessons that he was teaching us in the misery of it? You understand? Imagine when it gets hot in this place. You are going to moan. Got the fan out now, ain't you, Debbie? <laughs> You'll be hanging out the door, love. <laughs> I say, have you learned the lesson, Deb? Do you know what God's trying to teach you? No? Well, keep fanning, love, because you've got to experience. The best a sermon can do is tell you what God might be doing or tell you what God has just done. But until you experience it, you don't know it. That's why he lives in us. 
He lives in us. He hasn't told us something and hope we will remember so when we get in the fix we go, what does that say? What does that say? What does that say? He lives inside of us so when we're going through it, he is going, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right, keep going. It gets worse but keep going. It gets more miserable but keep going, keep going. That's the kingdom of God. He lives inside of you. That's all right then. Bring it on. Let it get worse. Amen? Amen. Amen. I heard you say that. Bring it on, God. More. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. This whole life starts with faith. You got saved by saving faith. Then you move on to doctrinal faith, then living faith, then the gift of faith. There is a progression of faith that we have to go through. So this faith that we have, it grows too. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. You better be good in here. Good to one another. To goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. They don't sound nice, do they? Self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection. What is this mutual affection? The genuine love and concern one for another. Mind if I tell you off? <laughs> Nicely. It's going gonna, it's gonna to slap you right across the chops, but do you mind if I tell you? Yeah. Okay, you're gonna, you can take it. Yeah. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. We moved from the school down here. We told you we had a deficit of 25,000 pounds. Do you remember? That's why we moved. This deficit would be met by leaving the school, 15. We would receive loans from two people amounting to 5,000. And Lee and I would take a reduction in salary 3,000 pound me and 2,000 pound loan uh, for Luke, uh, Lee. Only one person came and said, can we help you out financially? <laughs> you slapped us, Phil. Now, let me say this. My income is far more than what the church gives me. I'm looking to God as the source of my income. And so is Lee. So no one's upset here. No one's got their nose out of joint. But you all heard that. But you did nothing. By coming here... God has to teach us 
what it is to be Christians. To come in close proximity. To exercise mutual love one for another. To listen to the needs that are there and respond positively to that need. Got a lot of growing to do. I hope we learn the lessons while we're stuffed in here. Because I don't want to be stuffed in longer than I have to. My mum used to sing a song to me. Are there any salvationists here? Salvationists of Salvation Army. I won't sing the song, I'll just give you the words. The Salvation Army was saved from sin. It says, they went up to heaven in a corned beef tin. But the corned beef tin was too small and it came down from heaven like a rugby ball. See, God could keep us squashed in this place until we become misshapen, until we can't fit in here anymore because we've expanded in love and faith. That's the expansion, isn't it? Oh, perseverance and long-suffering and kindness and, and all these things, they'll be developed. But isn't it an expansion of love and faith? This faith thing, it is related to your money. And why it is, my dependence is on God. If I have money here, there is a great danger that instead of being dependent on him, I shift my dependence on this thing called money. The word of God says the spirit of mammon, the spirit of money. It would be wonderful if none of us, or all of us rather, had none of it. Just nothing, absolutely not a penny. So we could depend on him. Trust in him. Rely on him. But we don't. We build our pensions and our securities and our buffers so that if anything goes wrong, we can go here and not here. Stewardship. I understand that. The steward, when God gives him the money, is to take the money and invest it into the needs of the people. We are never focused on our own needs. We are always focusing on all the myriad of needs outside that we need to meet. And as we give, he looks after us. Do you still pray for yourself? 
I sincerely hope you don't. See, I've got lots of people to pray for. I just hope someone's looking after my back and praying for me and my needs. I don't want to be taken up with my needs. Listen, if I started, I wouldn't stop. I don't want to think about my needs. I want to think about your needs. When Jesus turned the stones into bread, he wasn't thinking of eating any of that stuff. Don't be ridiculous. It was a, a project that the Satan said, listen, if you turn all the stones into bread, you can feed the starving thousands of people and they'll make you Lord and King. He wasn't going to eat it himself. It was for the others. He was fasting. He wasn't going to break his fast to feed himself. When he went to the cross, he didn't die for himself. He died for everyone else. He didn't have to die. God's going to deal with your money. He's got to. Because your money keeps you a prisoner. He wants to release you from being a prisoner to that which you have and that which you cannot give away. I read a book once by a guy called Rhys Howes. You might have read it. You've got to be quite old to have read it, probably. Yeah, Dave? Yeah. yeah. Okay. A book called <laughs> Intercession, it's called. This was a great man. He's called to the mission field. Called to the mission field, and he had this... God said, you, you need to get the money to pay the fare to get to London, catching a boat, Tilbury, I suppose, going to be a missionary boats in those days, not planes. So he, he trusts God for this money, believes the money, gets the money, and then all of a sudden someone knocks at his door and says, I have this need, can you help me, Reese?" Because he had a reputation of helping people. So he thinks, no, I've got this money to buy my ticket to go down to London. But this need is a pressing need in front of me. What does he do? Does he keep the money for his fare down to London so he can catch the boat to be the missionary that God is sending? Or does he meet the need of the person who's knocked at the door? He meets the need of the person who knocks at the door. Fully trusting, fully trusting in God that God would meet his need. Waits all week. The weekend he's catching the train down. Nothing comes. Not one penny comes to supplement what he's given away. So he goes to the station. He hasn't got the money for his fare to get to London. Everyone's there to see him off. So what does he do? He gets in the line to buy his ticket without the money in his pocket. Is he going to ask anyone for the money? No. Why not? He's going to trust God. He's getting closer and closer to the booking office. But he gets to the booking office. He says, I want a ticket to London. He ain't got a penny. He can't pay for it. The guy gives him the price for the ticket. And a man comes from the side and puts the money on the counter in front of him. They go, it's a, it's a great story. 
That happened here last week. Let me tell you something. See that lovely shiny coffee machine over there? We had to replace the other one that is kaput. I have to find over £600 a month to pay for that. The coffee shop, no, sorry, a quarter, not a month, a quarter to pay for that. The cafe operates with an independent budget from the church. Okay. It's all under the church's covering, but it acts independently. It has to generate its own money. So I know that on something like June the 5th, I've got to find £650 to pay for that. I've got £500 in the cafe account. The cupboard is bare. There's nothing in the cupboard to give to the customers when they come in, the clients, the friends. Nothing there. So I have a chat with Lee. I say, Lee, what are we going to do? I say, we need to go spend some money, something like £300. But I said, on the, on the 3rd or 4th of June, I've got to come up with £650. What are we going to do, Lee? What do you say? Sorry? Well, it's a okay, I get your point. It's a funny coffee shop without a coffee machine. Okay, let's, let's assume... It doesn't have to be super, I get that, although God likes us to have super things. Okay, okay, so anyway, I've got it now, I've got to pay for it. I mean, I've, got it. I've done it, I've made the decision. I can't go back now, so I've got it, okay. We decide to go and stock up our stores with £300 worth of stuff from the 500. I've now got £200 left and I've got a week and a half to go. The day after we <coughs> bought... £300 worth of stock. Somebody walked into my office and gave me £400. Now, we don't do that once every two years. We do that every week here. Every week. Every week. To break through here, I've told you, this cost us £10,000 and to decorate this place. We never took that from your offerings. We trusted God as a cafe to do that. You cannot walk by faith if you do not trust God with your money. Impossible. Because that is what he's built into the system for us to walk by faith. The day we came here, a couple from the church came and they said, here's 150 pound on the first day we met. The question was, I never asked the question, they never gave that to me, they gave it to someone. They said, what's that for? They said, it's for the extension of this building. So that's in a separate account now. God never leaves us. He walks with us in this exciting adventure of faith and love. Faith and love. Faith and love. How many ugly people do you know? When I say ugly, I mean ugly in character. They give you a rough time. They give you a bad time. 
They give you a difficult time. Have you praised the Lord for them? You know that person at work who you just wish they'd fall under the bus. <laughs> just take them out, Lord. Remove them. They are a blessing. They are a blessing in your life. Because when you're going to work that day, instead of saying, oh, I do hope they're sick and not in today, <laughs> you say, God, release in me the grace that I might love old misery guts today. <laughs> and when you get there, he is more miserable, or she, than they've ever been before. And you say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, there's still you. I'll get there. But the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus, who dwells in you. So, we can... Develop this love in close proximity to one another. And we develop our faith by getting to grips with this stuff called money. I wish there was another way. I was reading something this week. It explained to me what anger was. Anger is the natural reaction to your will being violated. That's what it is. You can't stop it happening. If you are expecting something to happen, like me to stop shortly, that's your will, okay? But if I just say, well, I've got six more points, I have violated your will, and this thing called anger is manifest in you. Just, it's there. You can't stop it because your will, whatever it is, is violated. Now, it's what you do with that violation. Do you say, shh, calm down. There's probably something in the next six points that will really bless you, Philip. <laughs> or do you go, Aah! And then when I've stopped preaching, you come up to me and you say, that was very good, but. <laughs> you should have stopped 15 minutes before you did. See, that is the venting of anger. Anger is natural. Be angry, the Word of God says. Be angry, because I can't stop you being angry, but don't sin <coughs> in your anger. Now, I know. Why did I say that? I'll tell you why. When I talk about money and your money, because I'm violating your will, anger is released. Now, none of you are going to admit to it. I understand that. It's a reality. When your will is violated, anger is released. And you do nothing or you do something. That's what it's all about. Three weeks ago, someone said to Lee, don't let Phil do anything until I've met with Phil and spoken to him. So Lee thought, <laughs> was it? no, he said, about this building. 
So Lee comes to me, he says, you're not to do anything or think about anything until this person has spoken. I said, fine, okay, I knew the person. So this person came to me, and I had to fill him in on some stuff. Okay. He spent his whole life in construction. He knows all sorts of building people. He knows much more than I'll ever know, although I was in civil engineering a long, long time ago. And he has committed himself in time and finances to work with us on developing this site. Now that's good. So with the seed money of 150 and this, I'm just walking forward with God. That's it. Now if we develop this site, what will it cost us? You notice I said us. <laughs> 200,000? 300,000? 400,000? You say, well, what do you plan on doing? Yeah, we could extend the back here and put a 35,000 pound thing on the top. Well, what about going over the whole roof? Right across the top and right out the back. You say, what would we want to do that for? For the glory of God. To exercise our faith to release the grip on the money that we depend on so much that keeps us away from holding on to him. That's it. That's it. Now, God could pay for the whole thing. He could just turn up and pay for it all. I sincerely hope he does not. I sincerely hope that all of us have to agonize over what we have and what we can invest. How many churches are there in the world? Millions. I agree with you. Millions. How many churches have there been over 2,000 years? Millions and millions. Do you know what all these churches do? When, they, when God clusters people together and gathers it, you know what he gets them to do? Build a building. Isn't that weird? Even in countries where the sun is all day, they still build buildings. It is an exercise of developing faith. That's all. That's all. If we built a building and get a hundred people in it, would that be all right? They say, oh no, we want to get a thousand people in it. Well, you ain't going to for a start. We build a building as a pure exercise of faith. You go, that's crazy. Well, tell me what faith projects you've got on the go. Have you got any? Have you got anything happening in your life that if God don't turn up, you're down the swanee? You understand what that means? You're lost. You're sunk. It ain't going to work in your life. You are going to lose big time. If you're not there, you're not living by faith. 
Oh, you have faith for your salvation and you have faith for your children to get saved and your loved ones to get saved. But are you engaged in a concrete experiment of faith? I don't like theological Christianity. I like to think of ideas, but I like the tangibleness of Christianity when it's concrete and solid and real and I can get my hands on it like that 400 quid that came in last week. That was Christianity to me. That was the reality of it all to me. We need more concrete Christianity. We need someone to come up and slap you across the face and you say, I love you with all my heart. That's concrete Christianity. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want theoretical Christianity. It's, it's, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of space. I want Christianity to be real. I think I'm going to end up shortly with some drawings of what's possible. And some costing of what we've got to find. And I'd love to just do it as a project of faith. Whether we grow or not, it doesn't matter. That's God's business. Just as a pure exercise of faith to come together, to build together, to work together, to live together, to be focused. The danger is unless we got a focus of faith, you just come and go and come and go and come and go. And there's nothing concrete about our Christianity. And to build this place for the glory of God, the, the whole of Perivale might get to see the glory of God. And what God would use it for, I don't know. That's his business. That's a long way down the road from where we are now. Could you get excited about that? Yeah. When I write to you and say, if you could give 10, would you give 100? And if you could give 100, could you give us 1,000? And if you could give us 1,000, will you give us 5,000? Because if you can only give us what you've got, there's no faith. There's no faith in giving what you have. But in giving what you haven't got and believing God to replenish the stocks, that's the exciting bit. I've still got to believe for more money for my coffee machine. And the next quarter, and the next quarter, and the next quarter, and the next quarter. There's 39 of them. Well, 39 payments over three years or whatever it is. See, this stuff's real. This stuff's real. Your Christianity has to be real and tangible and not theoretical. You with me on this? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want our Christianity to be so real we walk in it and smell it and feel it and taste it. It's not just ideas or arguments or concepts in our mind, but the reality of meeting people and loving people and having faith for people and supporting people's needs and building for the glory of God. Father, do it in this place. If we have to be more uncomfortable, then do it, God. Do whatever is necessary to transform us into the people of Jesus Christ.
that we have a Christ-likeness about us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. With Phil talking about uh, money, it's a, it's a reminder that the, if you brought your offerings, it's a good time to share that now if we could have the baskets around. Thank you. And uh, do stay around for coffee and